Whoever drinks beer, he is quick to sleep. Whoever sleeps long does not sin. Whoever does not sin enters heaven. Thus, let us drink beer. Welcome back to the Go to Hell podcast. You're listening to the Go to Hell podcast, strong opinions weekly held by two guys about Christianity, the church, and other matters of faith. Please subscribe, rate, and review Go to Hell podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. You can tell us to go to hell on Twitter at the Go to Hell pod. I'm your host, Tim Curlee, along with my co-host, Colton Pierce. Colton, how about that Manchester Derby week this weekend? <laughs> We didn't talk about this. We've been talking about football because it's a Monday night. I. Okay. You know what? We're gonna we're gonna go on a tangent now. Okay. I fucking hate you. He's laughing his fucking ass off. Meanwhile, the Rams just got pick six. Um. Alright, uh... When is the last time in European soccer did two hat-tricks occur in the same match? Two Derby Day hat-tricks! Two born and bred City fans! It's the stuff of dreams! Somebody... Okay, just so we're clear. I don't... I don't know who texted me. Sunday morning. No, Sunday... Yeah, Sunday morning. So I woke up... I went... We were... We had a beer tasting Saturday night. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's I, a glorious affair. We watched we watched Hot Rod. Yes, Tim to watch Hot Rod, which I I will say Tim was very skeptical, but he laughed a lot. So we, it was it was very funny. It was it was received well. So we, so just need to find a better quality version of that. <laughs> we went home, and it was I get home like at midnight. The game starts at 6 a.m. I get up at 6 a.m. or at around 5.30. I head to the local soccer bar. They weren't open. Um, I'm going to have to talk about it. This is the third. Yeah. The Dobby. So we went to, so I go back home. I, t- I turn on Peacock. I watch it. Okay. One, first things first. Manchester United is no longer the Manchester United of all. Mm-hmm. We can't say that. Okay. Like, as much as their fans want them to be, like, as a huge fan, like I have to sit there and be like, okay, it's rebuilding. Like we've been, we've gone through coach after coach after coach. After... So it's like, okay, we gotta, we gotta get some stability. I think that Ten Hag could be that for us, but we have to like give him time. We gotta give him some space. Let him do the recruitments that he wants, um, and that's what they've currently been allowing him to do. So it's been good. That. The power three from Manchester City is so insane. I watched that whole game, and it was the total was six to three. I think that the score could have been, if we want to talk about legitimately whether or not Manchester United could have stopped goals, two of the six they possibly could have stopped. <laughs> possibly. The other four were insane. Like, the setup for those was just like, they just kicked the ball, and they were just like, the guy's got to be there. And the guy, like, hauled ass to get there and got there. Like, I'm going to throw it up, and, like, you have to be there. And 
you got to beat out your def- defender. And they would beat out their defender by, like, a half a step. Like, it's not like that United, like, gave up. It wasn't like they were, weren't hustling. It was just it was just that impressive. Like, they've got three guys on there. Kevin De Bruyne is phenomenal. That guy's, like, the assist master. And he takes phenomenal shots. They got, uh, <laughs> they got Phil Foden, who is so fast. Um, he'll be great to watch when he's playing for England um, this, uh, for the World Cup. And then you've got the Norwegian superstar, which is uh, Holland. And Holland literally, like, I don't know anybody on this earth that can stop that. Hmm. The dude is like six foot two, which is large for a soccer player. And he's built like a truck, but is wicked fast and has immense control with the ball. It's just like, I I don't know anybody on the planet that's going to be able to stop that guy. If that guy stays healthy... Manchester City will win every single day. Like, no one, like, they talked about it, but that's his third hat trick in a row. Oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't read like, that. The last three games have been nothing but hat tricks for him because he's that good. And he got pulled off early. No, he didn't get pulled off. No, he played the whole game. Uh, Phil Bowden got pulled off. So, like, and he still got a hat trick. Like, and the, the score shouldn't have been, it should have been two to six because, uh, City pulled off all of their main starters except for Holland. They were like, all right, these are our goal scorers. We're just going to, you know, just sit back. And so we got one extra goal because one of their lousy players did a, a penalty. You know, so I was like, all right, it looked closer than it was. <laughs> so, but yeah, no, is it It sucks as a United fan right now, but we're hoping for bigger things in the future. So, for all right. that's following, you're like, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> Was a cheap shot by your host. Uh, I hate you. Just so you guys know, for those of you that never watched soccer, six to three is not a good score. <laughs> if you allow six goals in a soccer, yeah, it's like it's uh, not a good score. fifty-four to twenty-one. Yeah. Uh, There's a comedian that talks about it, about soccer versus. They're like people are like they never score like so boring. Like the score was like three to two. They're like. Yeah, that's that's how football is. Yeah, football has made up numbers. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you think it's twenty-one to fourteen? No, it's three to two. <laughs> that was like, that's true. <laughs> yeah, right. Like this game that we're watching right now, where it's San Francisco versus LA. It's not even. Oh, it's three to one. That's the score right now. Right. <laughs> well, speaking of beer tasting. Yeah. Uh, we will. How about we do? Well, we'll do spirit of the week, and we will dive in a little bit to our uh, beer tasting function that we had uh, last Saturday, a couple nights ago. So we did a blind beer tasting. These were all beers we're all well familiar with. The, the group that w- was doing it. We had Lagunitas Straight IPA. We had. Uh, Firestone's Union Jack. We had Ballast Point Sculpin. We had Race uh, Bear Republic's Racer Five. We had Stone IPA. We had Barrel Houses West Coast IPA, which is tomorrow's. No, that was Barrel Houses. Oh, bar- uh, Barrel Houses. Barrel Houses uh, Straight IPA. West Coast IPA, and we had Dust Bowl's West Coast IPA called Tomorrow's Clear. 
Then we had uh, a local craft, Kawiyas, um Lido. We had Kern Rivers. I don't even know what Kern Rivers is. I do not remember either. And I think that's it. That's all. So they were all tasty. There wasn't a bad beer in the bunch, uh, but the top three were uh, actually the one I'd said going in. I was a little surprised I was going to score that high. Um, well, I I didn't think it was a score that high, but it's not surprising actually that it scored high. So the top three were the Firestone Union Jack IPA, the Stone IPA, and the uh, Ballast Point. Sculpin, all three OG West Coast IPAs. Yeah, and then, bitter, everything that's great about IPAs. And then also like uh, the one that kind of switched in as well was also Racer Five. Racer Five was in there too, I think. But the it was in that mix, and so it was just like phenomenal beers. And so we're drinking some of the aftermath of that tonight. Uh, currently, since the sucking down a Union Jack IPA, and I having a stone IPA. These were actually both of our number one picks. Yeah. He had a Green Jackets as number one pick and stone. Those, th- those top four were all interchangeable. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, all of them, two of them were had a different flavor p- profile than the rest. Frankly, I think, you know, some of us didn't think they were actual West Coast IPA in, in both color uh well, clarity more than uh, color, opaqueness, and uh, a little too sweet for a West Coast, uh, but they were still delicious. So we'll be doing another one probably in the future. Kind of get some of it. We know that there's a lot of uh, IPA hate out there in the world. We also know that there's a lot of IPA schnobs. <laughs> we drink. Nothing but IPAs on this uh, show so far, uh, but uh, we we are connoisseurs of beer. We love lots of beer, so it's. Uh, but our favorite, I would have to say, is I mean, the West Coast IPA. Yeah, my favorite is both West Coast yeah, IPA. So um, for those of you, you know, if you're, I'm not sure. I, I think we're we're aficionados. I wouldn't say we're a snob, and we don't sit around, you know, like talking about all the flavors we taste in beer, and we don't do that with the the whiskeys we drink drink either. I don't really know one whiskey from another. I just know what flavor profile, you know, what flavors I like, and uh, but so we're not like real snobs. Well, what was really funny was when we did this uh, this last weekend. Not a huge difference. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> not. Like, also, that could be the alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, so, thought uh, my wife was helping pour the beer, and we thought she was gonna mix all the beers together and like and have us taste it. We had enough beer left over; she could have done it. Just, tried. just to well, be after the beer tasting, just to see what that tasted like. Uh, uh, IPA suicide. All right, we have a full show tonight. Uh, part two of our church shopping. Before we get to that, we're going to do hot.
topic. Okay, if you just joined us, we're talking about who is the best Lord. Lord of the Rings, of the Dance, or of the Flies. That's tonight's Hot Topic. Hot Topic. This might this hopefully be a new uh, segment in the show. We won't do it every week, but uh, we've got some kind of art news article or something to... Uh, spark a short conversation that doesn't need to be the whole show that we're going to talk about. So tonight we're going to talk about it touches on some things. I think we, you in particular, Colton, have mentioned um, from time to time on this podcast so far, um, and that is the Gospels and the lack of continuity be- in them. Right. Um, and I'm reading specifically from an article by N.T. Wright, who's one of my favorite. Uh, Theologians, I don't know what you call them. I guess theologian. Um, theologian is word. Um, so I'm just going to read from it, and then we'll talk about it for a little bit, and then we'll get into the main topic. Um, today we're used to history as a genre that prioritize, prioritizes supposed agendaless, agendaless. Start again. Today, we're used to history as a genre that prioritizes supposed agendaless chronicles. But the Gospels have an agenda. This may come as a shock. The main objective of the Gospels is not to convince us that the Gospels are correct. Instead, the main objective of the Gospels is to convince us that Jesus is worth following. We moderns may have expectations as how we would most easily be convinced, which may intersect with historical reliability. Still, we need to leave these expectations at the door when dealing with pre-modern texts. The Gospel authors are taking a collection of known stories and sayings, which Jesus, as a traveling preacher, likely repeated multiple times, that's an interesting point, and rearranged and rearranging and shaping them to fit into patterns that will help their readers more e- easily recognize the grand message they b- being conveyed as storytellers as a, all storytellers does oh sorry as all storytelling does they are working to craft meaning from other another meaningless an, an otherwise meaningless string of events they follow a principle of selection and arrangement that inevitably leads to differences. John says as much at the end of his gospel when he says he chose some things to include, but not everything. And that's in chapter 21, verse 25. We have to face the simple fact that the gospels don't align in every detail. This doesn't, however, discredit a sense of harmony. In the English language, we run into the problem of using the the same word gospel to identify both the singular message Jesus proclaimed and the very texts which chronicle his telling. This gives misleading illusion that the texts are are just as singular as the message. Of course, the message is singular. There is one essential claim about the kingdom of Jesus being molded and shaped by authors for their own context and audiences. One message announced four ways. That message is experienced more richly because of this abundance. And he goes on a little bit more. So, I mean, I I think that this is just a question that a lot of people have. What was funny was um, 
think of until I think in my college class on the way I hadn't really considered Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I thought it was. And I never did like a comparison, right? Like you don't sit there and you just read all four of those back to back. Right, right. Like, do comparison and, you know, that kind of stuff. And so it was going through that that it, it, like you, you, under, you start to understand that some of the miracles were there, some of them weren't. But some of the same stories were there, but the same instances didn't occur, right? The, the famous one that's really, that really speaks to me on that whole occasion is, uh, is Peter walking on water, right? That, that story's told actually three times across the Gospels. And only in one of them does Peter get out and walk on the water. You'd think that if somebody was there, saw the whole situation, that that would be something that you would not leave out. Right. Like, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, um, so there just becomes a lot of that, that, that just, so what do we do with that? Right? Like as believers, when we're reading, what, what do we take from that? How do we respond to that? What, what do we believe in that kind of stuff? And again, a lot of this stuff that's important to understand is it's important in a way, but it's not as important as what the message that's being presented. That's the that's the thing that the that the guys needed to get right. Um, they needed to get right that this is the message of God. Jesus is presenting that to them, um, and so that becomes what we are looking for um and you know and there, and understanding how the culture of the time works right like again we talked about this a couple of times where we said you know mark's matthew and luke's uh ministry of jesus is only about six months right whereas they agree with john's timeline uh most biblical scholars agree with john's timeline of it being about three years and yes, he would go and he would present the same message over and over and over again. The Sermon on the Mount didn't just happen once. It happened again and again and again and again. Um, he was preaching it all over the place. This is what was causing problems. Right. So, um, And it probably explains why Luke has uh, one version, which is a more earthly, physical in- interpretation. The Sermon on the Plain. Right. And his is about the poor, literally the poor. Right, Blessed the, the 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 downtrodden and the and uh, what was it? Matthews has got the the other version has adds spirit, and it's and the whole the clear differentiation in just the context of both, and uh, between one and the other. Um, Luke's version is much more physical here and now, dealing with earthly problems, and the other one's much more spiritual and eternal. Right, and and also acknowledging that yes. There are audiences that exist. It, it, I think it. I think it said at the beginning is that we believe that there is <laughs> what it said. It the the gospels are agendaless. Like that's what we believe, and it's like nope, they do have an agenda. Yeah, they're not. They're not there to convince you of who Jesus is. Like that is true on there. It's not to convince you who Jesus is. It is there to present the message. And and that's why there's that huge push in Matthew to make those connections to Moses because the intended audience for the book of Matthew is for the Jews. Right. So the Jews are supposed to read that. They're supposed to sit there and say, Jesus is presenting the same message that was presented 
by God through Moses. Like, that's that whole concept. Um, it's not here to prove to you who Jesus was. People would have known. When these books are written, people would have known who Jesus was. That's not what they're for. Right. They're not here to prove something to you. Right? And, and I mean, 2,000 years later, that's just how it works, right? Like, you're sitting there, and you have to prove it to everybody that you meet, and that kind of stuff. Like, that, that it pervades the overall message, and it influences how you read the scriptures. That's not what they were originally Teach you the teachings of Christ, ultimately. Therefore, you have to do something. Right? Like, that's, you are called to action and do this as opposed to called to prove something. Right. And so they're not, they're not agendalists. They serve a purpose. That purpose may not be. No, I think he's right. I think they, what, People think the agenda is is to prove the existence of Jesus, and while at the same time your average, certainly your average uh, American evangelical would say it's all a matter of faith, and a lot some might even some of you listening to this might even say it's a matter of selection, and 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 you don't even have a part of it. Well, then why the hell are you trying to convince someone? I mean, I, I suppose you're. You think you're part of that process, um, and and you're part of the process where the Holy Spirit's eventually selecting someone. But um, it's it's. I also find it interesting because you know we don't even treat our own history texts the same way. I don't think uh, you know our our just in American history. Um, our American presidents have a lot of myths that have been built in their story. You know, uh, George Washington's famous one is the the cherry tree. But even there's a lot of tall tales about Abraham Lincoln. Right. And the point isn't whether or not they're... Uh, yeah, you know, there's stories about his... Uh, but even just other stories about parlor tricks he would do like there was a there's there's a, a story that he could take an axe which back in the day was you know a, well an axe is pretty heavy and he could t balance it on his pointy finger and just sit there and balance it for a few minutes and 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 wow everyone and you know a lot of historians wonder if it's true the point isn't whether or not it's true enough the point of it is that you know if you get to know abraham lincoln which is why he became so popular in, when he went around and campaigned was, he was pretty homey, he was pretty folksy, he had a good, he actually, you know, he was this tall, gangly guy, but he had a really good sense of humor. We, you know, we think of Gettysburg Address and these august speeches that he gave, but he, he was quite a character. And so whether or not these stories were true or not, um, they give adequate context to the kind of person that, these historical figures were so all right well i thought that was good it was good a good hot topic for you i would like us to keep up i i think that it'll be good on this podcast for just volume. i think it's good for us on this podcast to talk about current understandings of the church and, and we will eventually probably when when certain things come up we will take time and we'll talk about them we 
that we had been doing this podcast several months ago when uh, Russia decided to invade Ukraine would have had things to say about it. Right. You know, and what is the church's reaction? How should we respond? That kind of stuff. Um, and, and life will happen. Events will occur. Um, and so we're going to have to talk about it. Uh, that'll be good. That'll be good that we Also, we uh, we just refilled our beers. Uh, uh, Tim is drinking uh, Bear Republic's Racer Five, and I am drinking uh, Ballast Point Sculpin IPA. <laughs> this one was first. Okay, so part two of church shopping. So last week. Uh, recap last week we spent the a uh, decent portion of the show um talking about people who've n- not just church shopped but they've just left the church completely and i think i, I don't think you and i at all intended to come in <laughs> with some harsh words but i think we ended up there um and and again it's not out of hatred or disgust or anything it's because uh, you know we don't want to see anybody leave and i think a lot of us uh leave the church and they might even seem like good reasons but it's best to be in the church and if you've left the faith completely that's even that's even worse um but again not worse than i'm that we're judging you it's just you know we want everyone to be part of the faith and then from there you and i both told uh stories of what happened literally within the church we were at before um, to lay context to um, us leaving that church for the church we're at now. Uh, If you didn't hear that episode, go back and listen to it. They were both pretty lengthy stories. We're not going to recap them uh, here. Just suffice it to say the church we were at before at For me personally, my mission, my mission and vision of a church, no longer was in alignment with that church, and I say that, I say that in that way. I had to come to the grip, to come to grips with. You're trying to make this something. It is not. Go find something else. Um. And in the and there was a lot of hurt wrapped wrapped around that and disappointment and things like that. Um, and then for you, it was just outright trauma, and a new setting needed to be found. So, um, so we went and shopped for churches, and we both ended up at the place we're at. Like I said, now, which is this wonderful place called Neighborhood Church in Visalia. Uh, and it has a culture and a mission and vision that are in alignment with where we see particularly our faith, but I think what the church and in general needs to adopt, which is a much less... Uh, our church does not seek to be the police policemen of other people outside the church. It is very... Our pastor is very much pointing fingers inward 
and not pointing fingers outward. He's very reluctant to point fingers outward. Outward meaning outside the church with a big C. And for some of you who are listening to this who have a problem with that, it's completely biblical. Paul says, Paul is very explicit. Why do you care about what people, the people who do not believe in Jesus, why do you care what they do? Because they're not believers. And most of the gospel, the gospels are all about correcting others within the church, not going around telling people out. You need to go tell people outside the church to do this, this, and that, and the other. It's all about telling, trying to counsel and uplift and sometimes chastise fellow believers into being better believers. And yet, I think the church as a whole has fallen into a really bad trap, and it's not a new one. It's been going around for many centuries of pointing fingers outward and saying, well, at least we're better than the others. I think that if you're still listening to this podcast, <laughs> that you'll probably find really what they us in this podcast. That's what we do, and sometimes we said it last week. Sometimes we feel like we pour it on too much, and and we tr- we try not to. I mean, we don't want to be. I'm. We're, we we sit here and drink beer and sometimes swear in here. So you and I would be the last ones to say we're the best, you know, Christians there are. Um, we have a very specific agenda, which then leads to a bunch of episodes and touches on a lot of topics. But it's a very, I think at the end of the day, it's a very specific agenda. And that is, the ch- we believers need to be a lot more loving, and again, that's a big word, and it gets misused, and at some point we will spin a, a podcast to define what we mean by that, and what we think Christians should mean by that, um, and, and I will, just to preview the episode, it is not what the world thinks it means, but we need to love others, including our enemies, and stop being so tribal in how we treat the world including in this day and age when so many people outside the the church are trying to do the same to us. That makes it challenging, but that's the most important time to learn how to turn the other cheek and do the other all the things that we're called to do uh, in the New Testament. So, um, Okay, so... We switch churches, and let me. So let's just let's dive into the, the the topic, and let me stipulate that even though you and I switched, and I said it when I told my family story, my parents shopped a lot. I do believe that it is not good for someone to be shopping for churches a a, a, a lot. Trying to find the perfect church is not is 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 a fool's errand. Um, it's going to be hard to find a church that has the music you like and the preacher that preaches well every Sunday and a children's ministry that you like and a women's ministry that you like. And, oh, they've even got, you know, and the thing for my husband, so he's engaged. Those, <laughs> those are almost impossible to find. And the ones that supposedly do are really big, and I find them so big 
that they're impersonal. And yeah, you can get in small groups or or churches within the church to get more personal, but they're massive organizations. So if you're trying to find the perfect church, yeah, that's not the thing to do. But I know there is a mentality out there that you just shouldn't shop church. Like somehow whatever church you were born into or the one like you deigned to walk into in the new town you moved and that's the church you started to go to, that that's now your church. And to leave that is now some sign of a lack of maturity, Christian maturity. Would you agree with that or am I? No, I, I don't think that you're wrong in that at all. Um, that mentality does that mentality that accusation does occur out there correct that, that mentality and that accusation does occur on a regular okay so there's both church shopping that is that is wrong but there is also I'm let's just for lack of a better phrase I am born into a church and now that is somehow my church that I'm supposed to be in that is my faith community, and there's nothing changing it. Yeah. And so where's the balance in between? Right, which is what we're talking Right, I'm going to read a Bonhoeffer quote that is pretty, I think it reads, it reads very black and white, and I'm not sure, like a lot of things, people who read it, huh? I'm not sure he means it as black and white as people who do. I mean, I th- I came across this art, this, it's not, it's an essay, I think, within a book. I came across it from someone who was quoting, using it to quote, to say that church shoppers are immature Christians. And, you know, I, uh, I'm not. All right. Should I read it? Or do you want to say something first and then read it? And then no, let no, me read, read it. Read it, read it. Okay. So this is Disillusion with Your Church, and it's an excerpt from Diedrich Bonhoeffer, the great German pastor theologian, um, man who stood up to Hitler, uh, his book entitled Life Together. So I'm going to skip a few paragraphs, and he says, God states, God, no, sorry, God, God hates visionary dreaming. It makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. The man who fashions a visionary ideal of community demands that it be realized by God, by others, and by himself. He enters the community of Christians with his demands, sets up his own laws, and judges the brethren and God himself accordingly. He stands adamant, a living approach, reproach, a living reproach to all others in the circle of the brethren. He acts as if he is the creator of the Christian community, as if his dream binds men together. When things do not go his way, he calls the effort a failure. When his ideal picture is destroyed, he sees the community going to smash. So he becomes first an accuser of his brethren, then an accuser of God, and finally the despairing accuser of himself. Because God has already laid the only foundation of our fellowship, because God has bound us together in one body with other Christians in Jesus Christ, long before we entered in common life with them, we enter into that common life not as demanders, but as thankful recipients. We thank God for giving us brethren who live by his call, by his forgiveness, and by his promise. 
We do not complain of what God does not give us. We rather thank God for what he does give us daily. And it is not what has been given us enough, brothers, who will go on living with us through sin and need under the blessing of his gr- Oh, and is it not what given us... <sighs> and is it not what has been given us enough, brothers, who will go on living through us in sin and need under the blessing of his grace? Is the divine gift of Christian fellowship anything less than this, any day, even the most difficult and distressing day, even when sin and misunderstanding burden in communal life is not the sinning brother, still a brother, with whom I, too, stand under the word of Christ? Will not his sin be a constant occasion for me to give thanks that both of us may live in the forgiving love of God of Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ? Thus, in the very hour of disillusionment with my brother becomes incomparably salutary because it is so thoroughly it so thoroughly teaches me that neither us neither of us can deliver can live by our own words and deeds but only by the one word and deed which really binds us together the forgiveness of Jesus in Jesus forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ when the morning mists of dreams vanish then the dawn dawns the bright day of christian fellowship Okay, then he keeps going. I think that I think that's a chastisement of a specific thing that goes on in the church. And it's not necessarily the member a member switching churches. Now let's put this in context. D, uh, Bonhoeffer is He's a Catholic, right? He's not a Lutheran. He's a, he's a he's a Catholic. I'm asking. I'm pretty sure he's a Catholic. I should know the answer to this question since I've read several of his books, but clearly I'm not remembering that. Okay, he's a Lutheran. Well, he's just to the <laughs> he's just to the right of a Catholic. He's high church. That's what I call high church. There's not a lot of high church shopping in high church. It's still very much very. Uh, top down. Uh, there's a hierarchy, and none of this is uh, pejorative. I'm not. I'm not criticizing uh, Catholicism or Episcopalian or Lutheran, which are really m- m- like oh, very much close. You know, Lutheran's just a Protestant version of Catholicism in a lot of ways, but it's, they're structured the same. It's not a criticism. In fact. The American Church could probably do for a little more structure, <laughs> um, but uh, because there's that structure, there's not a lot of moving around. I would say within the culture, so it's a much bigger deal probably when Dietrich's writing it. But let's just let's just take it as a, it's a timeless thing. It doesn't matter what culture you're living in. It doesn't matter if you're a German Lutheran or an American Baptist. So I think that, like, uh, yeah, I think he's being pretty specific here. Um, and, and what's funny is, uh, oh, I have problems. Uh, so, I mean, like, we, we revisit um, kind of my situation. Yeah, we talked about, you know, curtains were drawn back. On some things that it was like, it was really peaceful. Uh, 
kind of, I kind of saw what kind of happened behind the stage and what we talked about, where how much money goes into the, the AC, right, for like a building. Yeah. Um, we talked about, um, you know, what what were the priorities for the church, right? And so we look at at that kind of stuff, and it's just very shocking. Um, and so one of the things that like can we, can we stop right there for some? Put a pin on what you're where you're going with that. Can you? Got it. Okay, got it. Pin. Let's go on a quick tangent. I was in my forties when I joined. Basically, the elder board. We just called it the board. Was elders. And I didn't think I was too young, and I still don't think I was too young. But I will say. There's a reason why seasoned people need to be on a church board or in whatever structure you have in your church. because, And it's not because, oh, you're going to make big decisions and you need to be. No, you're going to see some dirty sides of the church that can be traumatic. And I'm not. Again, Colton and I are not saying this to say, oh, Christians are all terrible and we're just as bad as the world is. No, we're acknowledging. We get to see the seat, the, no, I'm not going to say CD underbelly. That's not fair. We get to see the side of everybody that most people at church don't get to see on Sunday. You see, every, see everyone show up in. Shake your hand, kissing kiss babies. How's everything? It's going great. What you know? Yeah, but that's not the nitty gritty. But that's not the nitty gritty, and I'm not saying that everyone should be. Also, seconds tangent. Everyone does not need to be super honest when they're walking through the breeze breezeway of the church into the door, and someone you know, someone say, "How are you doing?" Oh, actually, I'm doing terrible. You know, my wife's uh, an alcoholic and all that. That's not the time to unload on people. <laughs> right. Um, but. Most of us, except if we're in a small group, and even if that's in the, within that small group, you're probably only within six to 20 other people and getting to do church with them, you have to be prepared. You're going to hear and you're going to directly hear and see and witness things. Your, your fellow believers who are not terrible people, they're just living life are going to do and say and ask for things to be done that are going to disappoint you. Not because they're bad people. It's just that's the, that's the way it is. You're going to get disappointed. That's why you need to be an elder. That's why you need to be strong in your faith so you can just be like, okay, yeah. There, by the grace of God, go I. Probably might have done the same thing. So, well, I mean, like, but, uh, and so when we look at that, and again, you asked me to put a pin in it, but it was really like, like, if you, so, like, with that story, the curtains are drawn back. And, and here's something that, like, maybe those of you that are playing along at home or, or listening along at home, that this is something that you've never considered before. Maybe, like, it was always hitting you in the face, but you just never really thought about it. Okay. But, like, legitimate. Board meetings, right? We're sitting there having board meetings. And they are intentional. Head pastors are intentional about when they give specific sermons. 
right? Maybe you like, we're like, okay, we're going through a new series, blah, 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 blah. But once you hit late November, early December, they know that people get Christmas bonuses. And so therefore, whether you like it or not, because they need to keep the electricity going, they need to keep the lights on in the place, they will then use, and I mean, like, whether, like I, I don't know how to describe this in a way that would be okay for a lot of people, is they will then give a tithing sermon. And yes, nine times out of ten, it will be a fairly manipulative sermon that will talk about how God do whatever, whatever terrible, whatever story of Jesus in there and his ministry that will go to tell you about how we need to tithe and give everything that we have. And then, coincidentally, they'll be like, and they'll be like, again, give what you feel necessary to do. After they had just dragged you through the mud about how you should give, <laughs> that's what they're going to do every late November to December because they know that this is the time that people get bonus checks and that people are more giving. They give, they specifically, that's a targeted part of the church. That's something that a lot of people don't really understand. They don't know that they're getting manipulated when they go in on a Sunday morning in late November. They're just like, oh, blah, blah, blah. Right. Right? And that's something that they legitimately target every single year. That's not just our church. That's churches everywhere. General, ch generally churches. Generally churches. That's one of the things our church, current church does not do because they, they tie their give us a bunch of money much earlier in the year, and they tie it around when they uh, once again tell the church, and most of us have been sat through this sermon on, you know, if we've been there, for every year you've been there, you've heard the sermon, but it's regurgitating to the church what the mission and vision is. And that's the way, yes, our church needs money, they need money just like any other church. They'd like to pay staff bonuses, but to marry it to here's why we're this is why we exist. Specifically, this is why we exist. We want your money to do that mission vision. Hey, and really what and if you continue to do that, right? You don't sit there and you don't do the manipulative, this is what Jesus is calling you to do. Because in my in my world that's and in my brain that's manipulative you sit there and like it's almost like the catholic church like sitting there and saying that if you tithe you're saved right like that's almost because this is what jesus has called you to do therefore you need to do this right and and when i'm talking about the catholic church for anybody that's catholic listening to this this is what I, I'm, I'm talking about when luther put the put the theses on the door like that that was one of his big beats Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what he had issues with. So if you're feeling like, well, I don't feel like my Catholic pastor does that, and I'm like, that's fine. That's that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a thousand years ago when this whole thing happened. This is what my problem. And and that's what I feel like Protestant pastors are doing today, where it's like we are just going to go up and we're going to talk about this, and, and I'm going to manipulate you. It, another situation where they manipulate people is, again, there are two things that a church needs. Yes, it does need money. That's one thing. Like, it, it does need that. In order for you to go to it, like, and even for people that, like, start home churches, you know that that a church needs money, right? Like, the lights have to come on. 
And all of that is based off of your tithes, right? Like, as much as people want to sit there and say, like, tax the church and all that kind of stuff, you don't really under, like, I don't feel like you understand. Like, uh, I don't feel like you understand, like, economics and how they work within a church. Like, go to a church, ask to look at their budget, because it has to be accessible to every member on there. Yeah. Uh, there. And so look at it, and then you can see where the money's going. You can see where it, what it's going to and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's there. So um, it exists, but sit there and say on a Sunday morning, we need money. Like, if you would like for the worship band to be as awesome as it possibly can be, or if you would like for us to have a children's ministry that is functional, a youth ministry that is functional, then you need to give money. Or else we got to cut. Yeah. Right? Like, we can't afford it. So therefore, we got to make budget cuts. Well, and if you're, and if you're at a decent-sized church, meaning 500 people or more, that's a decent-sized church in America on average. But let's just say a 1,000, 2,000-member church. Your pastor, your pastor or his operations pastor it's a different word different titles it could be the executive pastor or associate pastor whatever yeah you have a modern day ceo running your church it's not just up there spinning wonderful yarns on sunday making you feel good as you go charging back into work for the week and dealing with your kids and all that kind of stuff they're they're if they're a high-functioning pastor, they are basically like a CEO for a small to large company. They have to manage staff, and they have to think the way modern CEOs do. This is, and this isn't like this isn't like anti-Christian or you know, oh, they just need to be men of God. No, they're using modern any mod, They're using the same modern tools uh, ancient pastors would have used in the day to lead men. Right. In this case lead women. They are thinking about a mission and vision. They're making sure the mission and vision aligns. They have they they're probably they've probably read Simon Sinek's uh book on why and they make sure that they have a why that also exists for the church. Uh they probably read a book, they probably read Good to Great and they're figuring out how we're really good or we're great and we need to get greater. They are func- they are reading all of the same books that high functioning business people read in order to maximize the staff and the effectiveness of the church. Not only well, not only the staff, but they're also training the staff to train you if you um, are a, a volunteer at the church to maximize your experience there, so that you feel equipped, that you don't feel you're being thrown into the lion's den that you're getting an experience out of it, but you're also feeling empowered to be an unpaid leader within your little ecosystem, whether it be the two- and three-year-olds on a Sunday school morning or leading a small group. These are high-functioning people. Guess what? They might work. They might be pastors. They might work for the kingdom of God, but they get... (laughs) We live in America, folks. These people have to get paid, too, and they get paid pretty high. Depending on where, also that kind of depends on. But wherever you're living, they are probably getting paid more than you expect. And if you don't like that, 
uh, I don't know what to tell you. As Colton and I talked about last week, when you start seeing how much facilities cost, I've gone through periods where I'm like, the modern church doesn't work anymore. I don't see. <laughs> this doesn't seem like we're money's going to where it needs to go. But until someone's got a better, uh, until someone has a better replacement to the industrial church, that's what the modern churches right now are basically, uh, like our schools, they are an outcropping of the industrial era. So let's just call them industrial churches until you have a replacement model for the industrial church. I don't know what to tell you. If you think home church is the thing, try it out. It's really hard. People are trying to one up you for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's our experience. But yeah, uh, so. So. I don't know where to go now, so I'm just gonna. I got some. I'm just gonna leave some dead space. situation is so there's a couple of again the reason why I brought up the the whole like these are the sermons that are given to manipulate and that kind of stuff there are sermons that are given to also manipulate as far as getting people involved in the church right like those happen around August this is when you have a a, a certain influx or even after uh, Easter Okay, there's a huge push um, for people to get involved in the church, to start taking up volunteer positions. Um, and that's because there's a ton of new people in the church that they are able to get um, involved. They know that you will probably flake out um, by the end, you know, by the end of the year and that kind of stuff. And so they'll just revamp it every single year. They'll hit you with a little bit of a guilt trip. And then you'll be back in uh, into the mix ASAP. And that's just how it goes. Um, it's sad, but that but that's just how it goes. Um, also included in that is also the the sermon that you give to keep people from leaving the church. And almost like when you read the whole quote and that kind of stuff, that was just kind of the vibe that I felt from it. Is just this is uh, it was almost like that whole statement about the, we got to keep. Um, and, and I don't think that that was necessarily his intention. When you listen to those sermons, again, the heart, I believe that the heart of the pastor is in the right place. They're sitting in there and they're saying like, hey, you should not be leaving. And this is what we're going to be talking about tonight is, you know, what is that gray area? You know, it seems very platonic, right? It seems like almost like I'm I'm sitting there and I'm saying that there's issues, right? Like Tim left last time for a variety of issues. I left based off the sermon that I said, or not the sermon, the podcast that we gave last time. 
um, for a variety of reasons. Um, and I think what he ultimately wants you to do is he wants you to check those reasons, right? Um, yeah, let me defend Bonhoeffer real quick. Right, yeah. Not because I know what he's saying. I'm just saying, um, again, this was an article... This was plucked from an article that, frankly, wasn't all that well written, so I didn't feel like I needed to quote it. But they quoted Bonhoeffer's their authority to say what they were saying, which is people shouldn't be church shopping. And as I said, as I as I laid out before I started, it's it's an ex- it's an excerpt from the book, right? And so I feel like this whoever pulled this out. Um, and I don't own the, I have some Bonhoeffer books. I don't have this book, so I, I couldn't check it. And I tried to look like free versions up. You can't. So, I, and I wasn't going to, so I feel as if maybe some context was left on the table. <laughs> and so, um, here's, here's what I read from the Bonhoeffer article. The Bonhoeffer article is more towards, when I read this, it's more towards the guy who says, I don't like this church. I'm going to go start my own church. Which I do believe is more often than not a vanity project. And nine times out of ten, and I'm not saying this to be judgy against the people who've done it. Um, it's just, I've been in church for 50 years, cognizant of church for 45 years, right. it doesn't work out most of the time. It it lays out exactly as Diedrich lays it out. Starts off well, got a bunch of people, they're excited, they're part of the crew, and then everything fizzles out, and then by the time you're done, yeah, I'm just not even, a, I'm just not a Christian anymore. Right. And how to be brutally honest, how much of that is because your vanity was built into this thing yeah. and not really setting out in in true good faith to set a church up strictly for Jesus' kingdom. Um. Let me backtrack on my personal stories so I can throw myself under the bus so we can start fleshing out where where this gray area. So, so what I just laid out is is a, an extre- I would say one extreme of that's probably a bad idea. If you're someone who's kicking around and you're thinking to yourself, well, I know the Bible and I've been in church a long time and the pastor we're listening to, he's not really good. He's a moron, and I got a bunch of people, and they agree with me. And there, you know, there's this property out in the edge of town, and I could take a second mortgage out of my house. We could start that. Yeah, probably a bad idea. I, I think I think you're in that category where that's not a good idea, and you're probably not doing it for the right reasons, even if you think you are. All right, so where does it get a little more muddy? So when I was in college. I did I did do a lot of church shopping in college because I didn't like any of the college groups. Here's why I didn't like the college groups. It was very superficial. Uh and very superficial. Well, it was super 
I didn't like them because I felt they were superficial. Every college group I attended in college always had the same, always had a Ken and Barbie doll introducing themselves when you were new to the class, to the group on Sunday or the group on Wednesday night. And then for the next six weeks would proceed to introduce themselves to you, this new person. And I just got fed up with it. Now, that's my 20 self saying that. If, I, if, I, if my 20-something son or daughter were engaged in that, I would say, yeah, that's, but that's, not your, pro- that's your problem. Then, then be more outgoing. Go find other people to meet. But don't let two people drive you away because somehow they've been tabbed as the group leaders, lay leaders, or the, the readers, and they're not really good at it, and you're going to judge the whole group on that. And maybe it's a sign that you're boring, <laughs> and you're not making much of an impact when you show up after four weeks that no one's remembered that you're showing up. And I only came to that conclusion much after I was done church shopping for college groups. Colton? Yeah, I just... I think, personally, it's just... It's just art. So, okay, so where is... When is it acceptable to look for another church? You and I... We've talked about it ad nauseum now, previous episode in this one. I, l- let me frame it by when my wife and I left, we had a very clear goal in mind. We weren't leaving just to leave because we were pissed off. We were pissed. We were both, we were both bitter and hurt uh, for a lot of reasons. Okay, l- l- let me be honest. There, okay, w- we left in part because we were bitter. It, it became impossible to sit in church on Sunday and take certain people seriously anymore. And you know, I could I could sit here and read what Dietrich's got to say about the churches much more than uh, than you and and forgiveness and all that kind of thing. There's a big stat that's thrown around about how churches are failing all the time. You know, it's like I don't know. I I, I used to know the number when I was involved in church leaders and it was always this scare number about you know there's a thousand churches for every 100 or something you know some some crazy number and churches always want uh, pastors and church consultants always want to bring it up to kind of like scare people and they're like oh the church is dying and look the church 
the American church is dying. There's no doubt about it. People have, the amount of people who associate, I don't know that they were Christians, but the, the least number of people who associate with being Christians and, or our churchgoers has, has dropped. But a lot of that number with the church churches dying is because just there's a lot of bad churches out there. And I would argue they need to die. Uh, the church with a capital C is a holy thing. I don't think your average church on the corner is. It's important. I would hope that everyone that gets started stays and is a healthy one. But a lot of them need to die. And my point in all that is, if you know what kind of church you... So, my wife and I left because, yes, we were bitter. Yes, we were hurt. But as I said, as we started this episode, the same kind of change in faith that led to you and I doing this podcast, this different worldview of Christianity, didn't fit within the milieu, shall we say, of that church. Uh, you and I have friends and family to go to that church. We love these people, but they have a very traditional, it's not wrong, I'm not saying it's wrong, but they have the, a traditional view of Christianity that just, I'm not on board with anymore. And I suppose I could have sat it out and said things that made people feel uncomfortable. Um, and then asked to not be in charge of a small group anymore <laughs> and stuck it out. Or I live in a modern society where I can continue to see these people in social settings and be friends with them. And when they ask me why I left, I can say I don't really want to talk about it because, and I want to make this clear, if you're someone who's looking to leave a church, if you think your job on the way out is to tell everyone why you're leaving and leave a big shit stain, no. That is wrong. If you want to leave, if you think that church is messed, if you think that church is dysfunctional, whatever your reasons for leaving, do it quietly. Your job is not to brainwash everybody else into thinking that that church is messed up. And so I have not said anything negative to anyone since we've left, because it's not my place. Because where I do agree with Dietrich, I did not feel that place was the place for, my wife and I didn't feel it was the place for us. That does not mean it was for me to presume that it was not a place for a lot of other people there who had been going there for decades, who'd been there generationally, who still enjoyed that church and were still having a really good faith experience. That would be wrong. But it did feel important to go find a church that had the mission, the vision, the values that were more in line with the Christianity that I had become to know as an older adult. In my what I call deconstruction of my faith, 
Uh, some of you who know that word, it's a it's a dirty word in Christianity right now because it's supposed to just assume you're going to wake up one day and think Jesus was just this really hippy-dippy cool uh, carpenter. I don't that certainly happens to some people. I think deconstructionism is a really good phrase because it literally means to pull out some of the things that have that are non-biblical uh that we make as these important theological things uh beliefs as part of our following Jesus. I think it's hard about But when we talk about leaving the church, like, and leaving churches, I mean, what's really easy to do is, like, um, it's first off understanding, what we need to do is understand where is your faith. You are somebody that is just being uh, My recommendation is go something. Uh, throwing out churches just because you drive one. That doesn't mean that that's the one that you should try that one and you're like, I don't necessarily agree with this or that, or maybe I'm not really feeling this. Keep looking around. Yeah. Don't just pick one and go to that one. Um, shop around. If that's you and that's your faith. What everybody, what, what we're getting at tonight is those that are looking to take their, their faith a little bit further, been a part of the church for a long time. It's like, yeah, we don't want you to be. We don't want you to just ditch it the first second, the first, you know. We don't want you to like. I mean, like I don't, I don't know what to tell you, but we don't use this terminology for churches. But yeah, don't be a bandwagon. Yeah. Like, don't just hop on the bandwagon just because this is the new sexiest thing in the area. Well, don't do that and don't leave it because the pastor stands up and says something that you don't like. I mean, the, the, the thing, just for a second, the thing, the moment I knew I was at the right church was the first Sunday we were at our new church and the pastor was, I don't know, I don't remember what he was talking about. Um, but it was it was one of these issues that have literally led to like denominations forming, and he gave what the church's view because he speaks on behalf of the church. This is the the view, but it's not the only view. And you know, if you don't if you don't agree with it, that's fine. And then he said, and for those of you who disagree with me, don't even. He literally, I mean, not word for word said this, but literally like. This is what came out of his mouth. This was the the, word, the the gist of what he what came out of his mouth was. Don't even waste your time sending me an email telling me you're wrong. If you think I'm wrong, then just go to one of the 100 other churches in our area. Just go. And his point was, if you really find this that important, and you think you're wrong. And anybody else who disagrees with you is wrong. You're missing the whole point. His whole point was there's been different differing views in the church about this thing. And our view is this version of it, but there are other versions. And to say that there is literally only one is one historically wrong and two theologically wrong. 
and again, it was I don't I, I wish I remember what it was, but it was a major topic of you know things we argue about within the church. So, and I thought, okay, this is the guy I want. Because he's literally told the people off in church who want to make everything about, oh, that's wrong, and I'm offended and all that. Go pound sand. And he's a strong leader. And again, he's, he's, he's not being a strong leader by saying, this is it, and this is the only way. He's literally just saying, this is what we teach, but please be aware there's other viewpoints on this. And I was instantly, and then ever since then, he does the same thing every five or six weeks because something else comes up. Because we've our the entire Protestant faith is built on bullshit fights over things that don't matter at the end of the day. Yeah. Where someone said, "You are wrong about communion," and I'm going to go start a new church based on my correct interpretation of communion. But I mean, like, that's, that's the, that's the model that we live in, you know, like that's, I mean, as much as we want to give credit to Martin Luther and what he did, because there were a lot of corrections that needed to be made. Luther was correct because he was dealing with church corruption. Indulgences were evil, and I'm not calling Catholics evil. The church, though, the Catholic Church at the time, too big for its bridges. This is, this is what happens when institutions, even Christian ones, become monolithic. Right. And, and I mean, like, sorry, I, I did have a, a fallacy earlier of, like, comparing today's pastors with those of, you know, the Catholic Church 1,000 years ago. I'm sorry, that's not fair to today's pastors. I'm just merely saying, like, like to say that it's disgusting on a level is not Close. You know, like what was going on in the church back then? Legitimately, people were saying, "If you don't give all of the money that you give to the church, you're going to hell." Right. You know, or if you give as much money as possible, I can guarantee rights in the church. Right. They use. Yeah, they would cite the 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 widow. Right. They would throwing the all of her money in at the temple. A lot of manipulative texts where Jesus says, "See, she's got more faith than all you Pharisees." Right, and so it's just, it's a bummer, um, it's just, it, it's just how it goes, and that's what Martin Luther was preaching. And since that split, there have been countless splits. Count. I mean, like, we can count them, but I don't want to. And then there's been splits within splits within splits within splits. But I mean, look, like, even in our hometown, there's a situation, there's a church in our area, um... It's a community church in our area. I'm part of their name. I'm just going to say it out loud. Um, their, staff, or their staff that was originally a part of it got fed up with the old people in their church. But these people aren't letting us do anything. We're not going to, we can't do, we literally can't do anything. Nothing that we want to do. These people are stuck with sticks in the mud. They won't do anything. And so we're going to go start our own church. Just because they couldn't deal with the old people. If people were people pleasing them and that kind of stuff. And, right. And to be fair, like... Boomers don't refuse to give up control. <laughs> I mean, but, yeah, and I mean, to be fair to our, our church that we came from, we felt a lot of that friction as well. Right? No, there was, there was very much like, yeah, I, I fund this church, I've been in leadership forever, shut your mouth. 
Right, and it was like, that means nothing to me. That means nothing to the to the new member that comes into this church. They don't sit there and say, oh, you've been here for 50 years? Right. Oh my gosh, let me sit at your feet. Like, that's not what anybody thinks. The amount of time you've spent as a believer literally means nothing. I'm going to tell that to anybody in this in this podcast. Well, if it means something, you should be you should be less vocal, more and the older you've been a true believer, then the more selfless you should be. Right. It should not mean something to you. It should mean that yeah, particularly in a rapidly changing culture and technology and I mean society is rapidly changing, so maybe you should need you need to step aside. Yeah, and so it's just like so we had this situation where they went and they created their own church. Now the church that no one goes to, no one was one of our uh, our guys that was here, and, and that was like um, on the podcast, and he, that's that's been his thing. Um, and he likes not having to go through the barriers of those people, and, and he's benefited that. It, he, now, listen, he didn't go there before they split, you know, and, and went through the pain. That kind of stuff, but now he literally is a part of a church that that does whatever they want without having to check in with. And I, I don't want to say old people and like make that be offensive to like some of you, but there's legitimately in, in our area there is the boomer. Um, if you're a boomer, listen to this. If you're a boomer and you, you can, past the second episode. if you're a boomer and you're listening to this and you can somehow prove it, I'm not going to guarantee any kind of gift but um if i feel like you you send us a note and you somehow verify that you've been listening like 13 14 episodes in good god you're gonna get some kind of prize it's amazing i'm like goodness but maybe some of you listening you have a boomer grandparents or something and they're very much like oh this is the way it is this is this is the way the church has always been. And as I've said m- numerous times, eh, it's probably the way the church has been for about 100 years. They just think it's always been that way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, um, you know, I get it. But at the same time, the mission and vision that we had when we were there was we need to make changes. We're not going to just ditch these because also these are people that God loves as well. I'm not saying that those that are, you know, it's not the boomers are the problem. No, no, no. Because the boomers view us as the problem. Well, not you, you're Jenny. <laughs> I'm just the shat upon who doesn't I'm, know. I'm millennial, I'm millennial Z adjacent. You know, so it's like, uh, we, we have this whole situation where we're the problem but meanwhile we're sitting there and we're saying that they are the problem and in both ways they're probably right i think you need to relinquish control that is something that boomers have yet to do absolutely and if you're listening to this and you don't think that's fair look at our government and how many octogenarians are still in power in both parties, not one party or the other, both parties, who's, who's been presidents the last couple cycles. These people won't let go. Well past their due date. Yeah, no, it's just, it's, and I don't have a problem. Well, look, this gets to kind of the, the 
squishy part of church stuff where the church is in the process of figuring out how to deal with these issues that weren't issues 30 years ago. They were issues that were, quote-unquote, in the closet conveniently. Yeah. And they were others. And now they're out of the closet. And what I think is wrong is the people who are, too many people who have been let out of the closet and shouldn't have been, but now are out of the closet, are now trying to put us in back in the closet. But it, one way, regardless, these issues that we were convenient to be just swept under and um, shame and other tools used to just sweep under the rug are now out there. And... I think people of a certain generation don't know how to handle when those others start walking through the doors of the church. Right. And they're not going to repent of who they perceive they are on before they go in and it's a difficult issue. I mean I'm not going to throw I'm not going to throw under bus that was an issue that was being dealt with I think clumsily at the church we were at before that's not one of the reasons why I think I left but we left but it was being clumsily handled because the leadership there wasn't able to handle it and not everyone is not everyone is and I think that's probably means that if you are let's just be honest if you're gay and you're walking to that kind of church like to what you were talking about a couple minutes ago this isn't the place for me Maybe I need to go to a place that's not outright saying that it's okay to be gay, but at least they're willing to say it's a struggle or we don't know or whatever. Uh, we don't care, and the Holy Spirit will work it out if you're engaging in a true... Uh, as, as long as you're truly pursuing Jesus and having a relationship with him, we're going to let Jesus handle it. And a lot of churches, I think, because of the age of the leadership, aren't equipped to deal with that. And fine, whatever. But you might find yourself a dying church 10 years from now. Which, let me, let me stop for a second and defend that. Because one of the issues I think I did personally get hung up with, to Bonhoeffer's point in the article, was... I was I was set that the the church we were at before needed to be much more outward focused. I I did believe it. Um but the concern was the church was going to die if it didn't become more outward focused. We were going to slowly die. And one of the things that I came to grips with when I was that allowed me to kind of walk away was maybe that's his plan. Maybe that's God's plan. And you'll remember when we were at that church, there was there was a lot of ego built in with everybody there because we were been in a church for like a hundred and. 20, 140 something years or something like that. And it was a big deal. And yeah. that's all great and everything, but it's really quick for everyone to start like baking that into the cake. Like, Ooh, we're special. We've been around for 120 years. Yeah. 
maybe it was may I finally came to the conclusion it was freeing for me that maybe that's what God had was that this church would die out. And I, when I say that, I am not saying that the people who stay, and, and including me if I had stayed, were failures. That is not my point. My point is to think bigger outside the picture in the way God thinks that was you, that group of people meeting a need for 150, 170 years. It's okay to go away. And if you're upset that it goes away, to Bonhoeffer's point, you have now inserted your ego into my kingdom building. Right. And as soon as I was just like, you know what? I have it's presumptuous of me to think it's going to die just because it's not the way I think it wants to be. And even if it does, who cares? It, that in and of itself is not a sign that we have failed God. We have, fa- we have served his purpose in the time we have served its purpose. And as we were just talking about a few minutes ago, it is now t- time for another church, new wine, new wineskins, blah, 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 to step in with new leadership that thinks completely different without all of the baggage built into an old church. If baggage sounds too pejorative, all of the old roots and things that built the old church, it doesn't have to deal with that. It's a new church. It's forward thinking from the, from the beginning. It's equipped to deal with this fast-moving culture that we're in and how to handle these delicate issues of gender identity and homosexuality and stuff that the church hasn't been equipped to deal with. Yeah, and so like there's if you're if you're leaving for those reasons, it, it, it just doesn't even you know, and, and this is where it's like it, it talked about how it, there was legitimate hurt that came in my family's direction. And there was parts of the quote that, that stuck out to me where it was like you know but I mean like it's easy to sit there and say like you don't know my story, you don't And yes, is it not in, is it not that much more important that you stay and, and and here's here's something that's important about when you get involved with the church. And we talked about it last week. I'm bringing it up. That it's not about you. Yeah. Right? Like that has to ultimately be at the heart of the matter and, and eventually sometimes you do have to make selfish selfish decisions. Sit there and you say, I have to do this for me. Because we can't sit there and say, when you get involved in a church, it's not about you. Right? Like, I am actively being involved in a church where I am going to give up my time. I'm going to give up what I'm doing to be here, to do this, to do this, to be a part of this community, to uh, serve on a Sunday morning, to, to do this. And that is, if you are a part of that faith community that needs, that is, been a part of the church for years, this should be a staple for you. This isn't, this, there's no questions asked. Right. You should be involved. Right. If you're not involved in your church shopping, I'm sorry, I'm going to put you in a lesser category of the faith. 
I'm going to say that you're of that type that needs to continue to church shop and figure that out and be like, <laughs> where do I belong? It's if true. You've been part of it for 20 years and you're still not volunteering. I'm sorry. I'm putting you in a lesser category of the faith. Because it's time to step up. It's time yeah. to get involved and it's time for you to not take, 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 take. You now need to give back. Yeah, the whole point of being in church is community. Right. And community means participation. Right, exactly. And I'm sorry. If you're thinking that what they're giving you on a Sunday morning is so precious, right? Like, and, and I would say like a majority. Like, I, I love when Forrest gets up there and speaks. I don't want to like give him a big old like airhead or whatever. But I can, I can find plenty of opportunities to serve where I'm not having to give up my Sunday sermon. If that's what I'm really going to church for and that's what I really want. Or maybe you're like, oh my gosh, the music is so good. You can find something. Yeah, there's radio stations. There are, yeah. Exactly. You can listen to, there's probably three there's radio play, stations. Playlist, Apple Music. Yeah, awesome. and then there's, yeah. Spotify, whatever. Figure it out. Um, jam it out in your car in the morning. Okay? But, yeah, okay, sure. You get in the building and there's a community of other people singing along with you and that just, like, it's your spot. Like, okay, whatever. There's plenty of other ways to get involved to where you don't have to give up your Sunday morning to be able to get involved. And so, do that. Right. Get involved. Get involved. And expect to get hurt. You're going to get hurt. You're going to get hurt. But I mean, all, all someone's going to disappoint you. And at some point, at some point, Throughout all of that, you, you may get hurt and all that kind of stuff, and you have to do something selfish for yourself. No, I, no, I mean, like, no, I, I think I that no, and I don't think. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to jump to C. Get involved. A is get involved. B is expect to get hurt because guess what? Church is made up of messy, churchy people, and if we're all honest, people, and if we're all honest, some people there are going to church and they're not really. <laughs> So you're going to get hurt. So don't go strictly. I got hurt and I'm going to leave. Neither Colton and I left because we got out of Dodge as soon as we got hurt. No, and I mean, like, that's what's important. Sit there and say, and this is why I said, when you said church people, it's people. Yes. It's people. Well, I say church people because I think there's this no, assumption that church people are better and all. Look, folks, no, but we sorry. But that last week where we said we're not better. No. We're not better. We're not better people. We are people. People are people. We fuck up all the time. Yeah, unfortunately. I know. Like, we want to be better. We want to strive to be better and that kind of stuff. And we, and we wish that you don't put those expectations on people. That's what I would say. But ultimately, at the end of the day, you're going to get hurt. And, like, you know, we sit there and we say, you shouldn't be treated like that. That should not be happening to you. And that's absolutely true. It shouldn't be happening. Like you might be at a church where you get mistreated, and it's your job to speak up and say, "Hey, I don't think this this should be handled this way." And they learn a lesson because no one stepped up and said, "Yeah, shouldn't treat someone that way because they step out of line or something." So, just so we're not. A, I don't know. So I guess we should wrap it up. We're not against church shopping. No, I mean, like, I'm not against. Find the place though you're comfortable with. If you if you are definitely as Colton said, if you are a new be, new believer, keep looking until you find the place you're comfortable with, and that just doesn't mean again, as you said, just showing up on Sunday and being like, yeah, music's all right. Pastor gives a nice little TED talk, but uh, you know, no, 
get in a small group and find whether or not the people who are your age you're simpatico with. Uh, but definitely keep look for the. <laughs> if we have this many churches in America, take advantage of it. Yeah, I was like, if, if you haven't, if you don't know, right? But you're like, I, again, go out there, find your church if that's not you. But if it's also you, and you've been there for twenty years or whatever, don't feel locked in. And the reason why I say that you shouldn't feel locked in is because if we are actually doing this, what exactly he had said up there, what we say on a regular basis, that we are part of the body of Christ, you can be effective wherever the hell you are. Correct. You can be effective anywhere. And that's... Being a part of the community is where you are not being selfish. And so you are sitting there and you are giving up your time and you are being a part of something and you are serving a greater purpose. So you go to church, you help out, you do the best that you possibly can. And do the best that you possibly can in your community. I said last week that I wasn't comfortable with driving to Visalia, which is only 15 minutes away, and I understand how cities work. Okay? <laughs> uh, my grandparents lived in San Diego. It took them 30 minutes to get to wherever the hell they needed to be. Yep. And they felt, they felt like that was just an early morning drive. Like, Correct. That's how it goes, right? Like, that's just where you, that's just how it goes. So I did. But at the same time, I thought about the kids that I was serving. I thought about the community that I lived in. It was just like, I literally lived right around the corner from this church. So it was like, I could be there at any point in time for anybody that ever needed anything in this church. And that was how I could best serve my community. That's something that's a little bit different than what you may get in Los Angeles or San Diego and that kind of stuff. Is that because our populations are so low, and I mean low by California's. Right. Is that what we do on a Sunday morning and how you have a large impact on the community that that church represents, right? We're not in a mega church where I'm a drop in the bucket. No. Like, that's not it. It's, you don't understand how much you bring to the table, and that's why a lot of these sermons happen in August. They happen, whatever, to get you involved, make sure that you don't leave because they need you. Yeah. They need you. And also understanding what the church is, is that the church is a, the community of believers. The guy that gets up there and preaches is the guy that you selected to be the guy who preaches. Right. That guy is up there to preach for you, and you like him, but that's the guy that you chose. If you don't like him, get him out of there. If you don't like the way that the things are going, get them out. Right. It is a, it is a collective body that is supposed to be active participants to make sure that it is as healthy as possible for you to be able to benefit from it. They may mess up and they may screw up, and I'm not saying run them out on a pole just because that's what happened. That's not what I'm saying. Hold them accountable. Yeah, I'm saying that this is your community. This is how you want to be seen. If it's not going that way, then be an active participant to make the change. I tried to do that. Tim tried to do that. We were both on those ends, and the thing was we got burned on both of those ends. And so that's why we ended up having to leave. You have done all of that stuff, and you sit there and you say, my hands are clean. Listen, we're, we're sitting there saying that right now. We're saying that there's no shot in hell that anybody would blame for leaving the situation. No, I don't. I, well, I think, <laughs> no, some people would blame us if we did. But if, if how we explained it on this podcast... 
I don't think that they would and truly believe this to where we, I truly believe eliminating myself from that church was better for both parties. Not because I wasn't, not because when I was there, I was running around mouthing my, I was very adamant a few minutes ago when you're, when you leave a church, don't like crap on everybody and just bad mouth and blah, 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 blah. And, and just try to pollute your way on. Don't do that when you're in the church too. If you have nothing but negative things to say, there's either two, pro- there's a, there's a problem. There's three, three possible problems. One, you're the problem. Two, the church is the problem. Three, both of you are the problem. But I can guarantee you out of that, you either need to leave because the church is the problem. And in my situation, I'll, I'll admit, it was time for me to leave. Because if I had stayed much longer, I probably would have started saying stuff that shouldn't have been said. Yeah. And again, it's not my job. It wasn't in my. It wasn't my place to do that. Yeah. I. This just occurred to me, and I, we're running long, but and maybe we'll. This will turn into another episode or half an episode. But I think it needs to be said. That was a church your family grew up in. And you have different branches of your family there. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, some people who are listening to this. Um, are in a church or they they used to go to a church where their family maybe let's just say they they're in a church their family went to and they've went off to like common around here in in our in in our small metroplex common for uh kids with the good grades to go off to school somewhere else within a couple hours and then move back home and work either in ag or education and it's also common if they grew up in church, they're back at that church. Here's what I know, having been a Christian now for 50 years. Those of us who grew up in the church spend a good portion of our early years living off our parents' faith that we think is ours. And hopefully, something positive, but often it's negative, then changes that experience to be like, oh, yeah, that was just my parents' faith. When I got baptized in junior high, that was just my parents' faith. And it's not not to say we're not meaning well. I'm not casting aspersions. It's just you grow up, it's a family tradition, and you're doing your best to be a part of it, but it's there's a certain thing that happens, not for everyone. I think some teenagers, you know, they embrace it, but for a lot of us, it doesn't become our faith until, frankly, we're the prodigal son and go out and make asses of ourselves. No, seriously. No, I, I just have a perfect song for tonight. And then it becomes our faith. And if you've come home to church because it's your parents' church and either since you were at that church and you left and now you've become your own believer, to put it crudely, 
or you've come back and even then it was your parents' faith and then something happened. And that might not be the place for you. And it's okay. And it'll probably be a mess because your parents won't understand. Now, it might be in some cases because you want your, you have kids, you want your kids to be around your grandkids on, your grandparents on Sunday. I'm not saying you need to leave. But if you're one of those who's come and you're like, that's, this is the church I grew up in, but it doesn't have the values and I'm only here because I went to church here and my parents grew up here, went to church here and my grandparents went to church here and blah, 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 blah. I'm more concerned with you living out your best faith than I am being at the right quote-unquote church. And go find that church that fits you and your spouse and your family. So, like what we said, or you can what we said, you can find us on the Go to Hell Pod on Twitter. Um, what are our emails again? You can email us at tim at go to hellpodcast.com or colton at go to hellpodcast.com. And uh, if you are thinking about church shopping and you want to reach out to us about maybe some recommendations that we might have about what are some good things to look for as Yeah. And uh, we would love to share that with you. Um, if you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, I got all the church I need and all that stuff, and I don't care about what you guys say, just uh, go to hell. <laughs>